should not be any surprise to any of you that today is Christmas. Anyone surprised about that today? Wake up. Wow, it's Christmas. Didn't know that. Kind of hard to miss it, isn't it? We, we see signs of it all around us, don't we? But what is Christmas? I mean, your idea of Christmas may be different from other people, right? I'm sure you've, hopefully you've had some conversations with people about what Christmas means to you. I hope you have. What does Christmas mean to many people in the world? Well, I've heard some explanation on that. Some people think, well, it's all about family. It's all about spending time with family. It's all about, some people say, it's all about love and joy and peace in their own lives and in their family in this country and the world. Well, something, some people think it's all about uh, you know, giving cheer to your fellow man. Those are just some examples of, of what I've heard uh, this Christmas and other Christmases. But hopefully the word Christmas kind of gives it away what Christmas is all about, right? You ever notice the first part of the word Christmas is the word Christ? You ever notice that? I've even, I've even seen some people when they spell Christmas out, they purposely put the word Christ in all capital letters so that it stands out. I like that. Of course, Christmas is about Christ, whether everyone in the world recognizes that or not. And since it is about Christ, it's important that we understand who Jesus Christ is. Sadly, throughout the centuries of church history, there's been many, many false doctrine taught on the doctrine of who Jesus is. Now, I hope some of you have already heard what I'm going to say today. Uh, that's good, because if I say something new, it's probably heretical, all right? <laughs> so uh, hopefully you've already heard some of this. And so what I'm going to do today is, since the Word of God is my rule for faith and practice, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be quoting a lot of Scripture today, and I'm going to allow Scripture to be its own commentary showing who Jesus is. So who is Jesus Christ? Well, I hope this is obvious to you, but I don't want to take this for granted that everybody here or whoever's listening to this would know that Jesus Christ is, number one, pre-existent. Okay? Jesus Christ did not start some 2,000 years ago when he was born in Bethlehem, all right? Uh, he, that's not when he started. And, and by pre-existent, that's, that's just a theological word. It means that Christ has always existed from eternity past. He's always existed. Nobody gave birth to Jesus way back whenever. There was no beginning. In fact, uh, if you read Revelation 1.8, it says uh, that Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It says he, it, who is and who was and who is to come. Alpha and Omega, Greek words. Alpha being the first letter of the Greek alphabet, Omega being the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Just simply saying he's the first. He's, he, he's always been, and he always will be, and he's everything in between as well. We need to turn to John chapter 1 to get a better understanding of who Jesus is. Look at John chapter 1, the fourth gospel, gospel according to John. John chapter 1. Look at verse 1. John 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, capital W. 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, how do we know this is referring to Jesus Christ? Uh, if you say, because my pastor told me so, that's the wrong answer. Or if you say, because the footnote in my Bible says it's referring to Jesus Christ, wrong answer. The context gives it away. Look at verse 14. We know it's Jesus, because look at verse 14. It says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word, or the Logos, is Jesus Christ. He was in the beginning. He is equal with God because He is God. He's always existed. Number two, who is Jesus Christ? Well, Christ is fully human. Yes, he's always existed in, in, in a different form than he does today, but there was a point in time when the pre-existent Christ became human. How do we know that? Well, there's many things in the Scripture that prove this to us, but one of the things that's the most helpful is the virgin birth. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ shows that he is human. The Bible clearly states this in in these passages, we read uh, some of those already this morning, so we won't read them again. But the Bible clearly states that Jesus was conceived in the womb of a woman named Mary. And it was done by a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And the reason it's called the virgin birth is because it was done without a father. And, the, and this, of course, was in the days be- before uh, in vitro fertilization and you know, surrogate mothers and all these sort of things that goes on today. And we see even in uh, Luke chapter 1 there as well, the same fact is stated there in Luke's gospel, where uh, that's, in, in that passage there, it's, it's where the angel Gabriel actually comes to Mary. He, the angel appears to Mary and, and says, this is what's going to happen. And of course she was amazed. This is a very important doctrine. It's a doctrine that's been attacked throughout the centuries. The doctrine of importance of the virgin birth is seen in at least three areas. Number one, it shows here that uh, shows that salvation ultimately must come from the Lord. That's where salvation comes from. It's an unmistakable reminder here that salvation can never come through human effort, but it must be the work of God Himself. God is the one who did the work. And we see this idea in Galatians 4 there, or Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son. Notice who did the work there. God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So number one, it shows that salvation ultimately comes from the Lord. God the Father is the one who sent his son and the Holy Spirit is the one who miraculously conceived Jesus Christ in the womb of Mary. But number two, the virgin birth made possible the uniting of full deity and full humanity coming together in one person. Again, that's a doctrine that's been highly attacked over the centuries. And what this means is that God. Uh, he sent his son into the world, but interestingly enough, he, he changed his form. Whereas Jesus Christ used to be spirit in the beginning, 
Some 2,000 years ago, God changed his form to take on our form, form of mankind. Think with me. Um, I was reading some various theologians who have thought deeply about this subject. This is quite interesting to me that there are at least two other ways that Christ might have come to the earth. So why did God the Father choose to send his son in this way, the way he did? Because he could have done it another way. Well, God could have created Jesus as a complete human being in heaven. Could have done it that way. He didn't need to use Mary. He didn't need that. God could have sent Jesus to earth without any human parent at all. And if he would have done that, well, he would have lost his humanity in the process. It probably would have been possible for God to have Jesus come into the world using two human parents. And if so, he would have lost his deity. Here's what Dr. Wayne Grudem said, quote on the screen here, quote, In his wisdom, God ordained a combination of human and divine influence in the birth of Christ, so that his full humanity would be evident to us from the fact of his ordinary human birth from a, a human mother. And his full deity would be evident to us from the fact of his conception in Mary's womb by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. End quote. Don't you love the way God does things? Of course, he always does everything perfect. Well, number three, as we think about the virgin birth, the virgin birth also makes possible Christ's true humanity without inherited sin. All human beings, of course, have inherited legal guilt. We've, uh, we have this corrupt moral nature that you and I have received from our first father, who, of course, is Adam. But Jesus did not have an earthly father, of course. <laughs> Joseph was not his true father. He was a stepfather. And so he never inherited a sin nature from him. And by the way, he never inherited a sin nature from his mother either. Okay? And so this truth is, of course, indicated in what the angel Gabriel says to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. It's on the screen. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. <clears throat> Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, why did Jesus not inherit a sin nature from Mary? Okay, some... Some people have thought throughout the centuries that you only inherited your sin nature from your father. That's not true, by the way. You can inherit a sin nature from your mother, too, because she's just as sinful as your father is. So why did not Jesus inherit the sin nature from Mary? Well, if, if you go to the Roman Catholics, they've got their answer for that, and they call it the Immaculate Conception. And this teaching actually refers to the conception of Mary in her mother's womb. And it actually teaches that Mary was free from inherited sin from her mother and father. In fact, in 1854, Pope Pius IX proclaimed this. This is a, a, a quote from the book Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma. Here's what it says. The most holy virgin Mary was, in the first moment of her conception, in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, preserved free from all stain of original sin, end quote. Is that true? You ought to be shaking your head, no. 
she had sin just like we do. She was not perfect. Now, a biblical solution is that the work of the Spirit must have prevented the transmission of sin, of the, of sin from Mary to Jesus. It, it had to be that way. Because normally, you would receive your sin nature from your parents, both of them. But, of course, Jesus did not receive a sin nature. A miracle such as the virgin birth, by the way, is, is not too hard for the God of the universe to create. Right? Do you believe that God can do everything that he wants to do within his nature? Of course he can. And anyone who affirms that the virgin birth is impossible, well, they're just confessing his or her own unbelief in the God of the Bible. The Bible states it, I believe it. I hope you do too. The scriptures clearly teach the virgin birth. It is one of the fundamentals of the faith. It's uh, very important that we believe it. Very important in our, in our understanding of the person of Jesus Christ as well. If you don't understand that doctrine, you're not going to fully grasp who Jesus is. Well, there's many things that show Jesus' humanity. The first one is the virgin birth. Number two, the human weaknesses and limitations of Jesus Christ show his humanity. The weaknesses and limitations of Jesus Christ show his humanity. For example... If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's quite clear that Jesus had a human body, right? He had a human body, just as you and I do. He was born just as all human babies are born. He came from his mother's womb. In fact, you can read that in Luke 2, verse 7 there, that says, Mary, she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in the feeding trough of those animals, and there was... She did that because there was no room for them in the inn. Jesus was born just as you were born. And by the way, he also grew to adulthood just as any other child grows. Okay? Uh, some people tend to think that, that Jesus was some you know, superhuman being. He wasn't. His body was just like yours. In fact, you see this idea in Luke chapter 2, uh, where Dr. Luke who, of course, was a medical doctor. He's, he's focusing on the humanity of Jesus Christ and his gospel. And he says uh, much more about uh, Jesus' early years than, than any of the other gospels did. Look what he says here in Luke 2.40. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So he grew through those childhood years into adulthood just as you and I do. We also see in the Bible that Jesus actually becomes tired. He was not Superman. <laughs> okay, He grew tired just as you and I do. And Let me give you an example of this. John 4, verse 6 says, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. That's just one example showing that he actually did get tired. He needed to sleep. He needed to take rest. We also see Jesus became thirsty. He had to drink just as you and I do. John 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. So we see Jesus became tired. He became thirsty. You know what? He also was hungry. 
Matthew 4, verse 2, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry, showing his humanity. And, of course, the culmination of Jesus' limitations, of course, uh, show up at his death. We see his human body there when Jesus died on the cross, don't we? His human body ceased to have life in it. It ceased to function as a human body does when he died. Right? His heart stopped working. Luke 23, verse 46 says, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Which, of course, is talking about his death. Well, praise God, Jesus didn't stay dead. He arose from the grave. And the Bible says that when he arose from the grave, the body of his was a physical human body. Yes, it was made perfect. It was no longer subject to weakness, disease, or death. But nevertheless, it was a human body. You say, well, how do we know that? Again, read the Gospels, and you'll see many examples there. Let me just give you one. Luke 24, verse 39. Here's what Jesus said. He said, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Even Jesus acknowledges that he had flesh and bones, just as you do. And by the way, Luke 24 happened after his death. This was his resurrection body he's referring to. Now, also, I want you to notice in Acts chapter 1, how, how did Jesus leave the earth? Okay? Jesus left this earth with a human body. Here's what it says, Acts 1 verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. You'll see there in Acts 1, he's talking to his disciples. He still has the same human body. And, and these verses there are showing... And others are showing that Jesus' body was like ours in every way. Of course, it was, again, it was, it was perfect. And obviously, he could fly, which we can. And after his resurrection, it was, though it, was, it was still a human body. By the way, this is the same kind of body that every Christian is going to receive at the resurrection. You're going to have the same kind of body. You're going to be able to fly and walk through walls and do all those sort of things, just like Jesus did. So in what form is Jesus today? What form is Jesus today? Is he, did he go back to being a spirit, as he did in the beginning, you know, be, before creation? No. He's in heaven today, and he still has that perfect human body. I don't know if you noticed what the angel said. He's going to come back in the same way that he left. Part of that same way is the same human body. The same human body he left with is the same human body he's coming back to earth with. He's the same. We see that Jesus had a human body. He also had a human mind. Number two, he had a human mind. In Luke 2, Luke talks about this. He says that Jesus increased in wisdom. Guess what? Jesus went through the same learning processes that you and I go through. He was taught in school just as you and I have been taught in school. He learned just as other children do. He had to learn how to eat. I don't know if Mary had a high chair, 
or a bib, these sort of things. Children can be messy, right? When they're eating, they're first learning to eat. You know, they, uh, my, my daughter Hannah's beautiful when she's eating. You know, the food goes everywhere, uh, sometimes everywhere except where it's supposed to go, which is in the mouth, right? And so kids, kids have to be taught how to eat. They have to be taught how to do everything, don't they? And that can be frustrating. And so Mary and Joseph would have had to have taught Jesus how to eat, how to talk, how to read and write, how to be obedient to his parents, although he never sinned. Number three, Jesus not only had a human body and a human mind, he also had a human soul or a spirit and even human emotions. The Bible says that just before his crucifixion, here's various passages talking about Jesus. In John 12, verse 27, it says, here's Jesus speaking. He says, now is my soul troubled. John 13, 21, he said that it says that he was troubled in spirit. Matthew 26, verse 38, then he said unto them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. He experienced some of the same emotions that you and I experience. Jesus had a full range of human emotions, by the way. Uh, For example, in Matthew 8, verse 10, it says that he marveled at the faith of the centurion. John 11, 35, he wept with sorrow at the death of Lazarus. Lazarus was a family friend, if you will. He wept at the death of his friend. He experienced some of the same human emotions that you and I experience. Number four, people near Jesus saw him as only a man. The people who are around Jesus, particularly in those early years, saw him as only a man. In fact, the Bible says when Jesus came to his own village of Nazareth, uh, and this was after he had grown up, the people who had known him for all those, those early years did not receive him because they thought he was only a man. And in John 7, verse 5, it says, For neither did his brethren or his brothers believe in him. They did not believe in him, because they thought he was a man. They did not believe he was the Messiah, the Son of God. So, was Jesus fully man, then? That's a very important question, by the way. Very important question. Was Jesus fully human? Because there is, uh, there is some doctrine out there that teaches that Jesus was only part human. He wasn't fully human. He's only part human. And by the way, the answer to the question is, yes, he was fully human. He lived, he worked for 30 years on this earth. His brothers grew up there within his household. And by the way, they didn't even recognize and realize that he was anything more than just a, a very good human being. They lived with him. They saw him do all the things they did. And they thought he was just a very good human being. Maybe they teased him. (laughs) Can you imagine having a sibling who was perfect? Oh, you goody two-shoes. Oh, you mother's mother's boy. Or you father's boy. You know, I could see him, you know, calling him all sorts of names. Because he was perfect. But yet he did everything else. You know, he ate and he slept and he drank. He did all those sort of things. He, he played with the boys in his neighborhood, probably. They apparently had no idea that he was God come in human flesh, as far as we could tell. 
Well, because he is fully human, the next logical question that you probably should be asking is, was Christ sinless? Was Christ sinless? Well, even though Jesus was fully man, just as you and I are, the Bible also affirms that Jesus was different, and he was different in one very important way. He was without sin. He never committed sin during his lifetime. Well, that brings up an issue that that I, I was listening uh, over the last couple of years, various pastors and theologians arguing about what they call the impeccability of Christ. It's a big theological word, just simply stating, could Christ actually sin? Okay, I believe he did not sin, but many people wanted to argue and, and, and ask the question, well, could he sin? Well, let's, let's answer the question, first of all, well, was Christ sinless? Well, I think that's one of the reasons we studied Matthew chapter 4, because we see in Matthew 4 that Satan was unable to tempt Jesus successfully. Well, he tempted him, but he, he did not get Jesus to sin. Jesus was still perfect. And then even in the, in the parallel passage of Luke 4, it says, When the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. He could not get Jesus to sin. I want you to notice Jesus' amazing statements in these next several verses. Because as you look at these, only a sinless man could make these kind of statements. First of all, in John 8, verse 12, it's, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. John 8, 29. He that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. John fifteen ten. I have kept my Father's commandments. Someone once said, uh, either Jesus was a lunatic or he was God. Either he was a lunatic or he was God. If he was not God, then he had to be a lunatic to make these kind of statements. But of course, we believe he was God and that he was sinless. Look what others said about Jesus. Because, I mean, was he the only one saying these sort of things about himself? Or did other people say it about him as well? Well, of all the people you would expect to talk about Jesus in his sinless state, Pilate was probably not the first one to come to our minds. But look what Pilate said in John 18. Because he said, I find in him no fault at all. And then, of course, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, says, For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 4.15 For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 7.26 For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. 1 Peter 1.19 but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 1 Peter 2.22 says, Who did no sin. 1 John 3.5 You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Do you get the point? Do I need to keep going on? All right. If you want to read more of that, you can go to a concordance. Uh, you'll, you'll find several examples more. So we see that Jesus was fully human, fully man, but yet he was without sin. 
He never inherited a sin nature as you and I did at our birth. You say, well, why do Christians and so many pastors and other people make such a big deal out of Christmas? By the way, I don't actually believe Jesus was born on December 25th, in case you're wondering. But nevertheless, it's, it's still fun to celebrate Jesus' birth at this time of year, isn't it? Uh, there's, there's many hypotheses and theories of when Christ was born. Uh, probably one of the more popular ones, by the way, was in March. But it doesn't really matter, because if we knew the date, I think there'd be too many of us who would worship the date. Probably one reason why we don't know it. But we need to ask the question, especially during Christmas time, is why was Jesus' full humanity necessary? Why? Well, for one thing, when John wrote his first epistle of 1 John, there was a heretical teaching that was circulating in the church at that time. Some people were teaching that Jesus was not a man. Yes, many people believed that Jesus was God, and, and so we should believe that. We should believe that Jesus is full deity. And this heresy came to be known as docetism. This heresy was so serious, in fact, that the Apostle John called it a doctrine of the small-a antichrist. In fact, you can read in 1 John chapter 4 here, this is what John had to say about it. He said in 1 John 4, 2-3, two, two By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now there are several reasons why Jesus had to be fully man. Now, if, uh, in, my, in the process of my reading, I've, I've, these aren't original with me, I've gathered them from from all sorts of systematic theology books and uh, also on my computer. Anyway, let's just quickly go through these. We don't have time to read all the scriptures. I did put the scriptures up here for you if, if you wish to read those later today. Well, we see in these seven reasons here, Jesus had to be fully man, and I want you to see the reasons why. Number one, Jesus was our representative and obeyed for us where Adam had failed and disobeyed. If you read in Romans 5 there, you see Adam was, of course, the first man, and Adam sinned. He disobeyed God. And Jesus Christ is described as the second Adam, the one who did obey God. And, of course, he is the perfect Adam. He is our representative because he obeyed God. Number two, if Jesus had not been a man, he could not have died in our place and paid the penalty that was due to us. He took on the form of man, so he could do that. Number three, because we were alienated from God by sin, we needed someone to come between God and ourselves and bring us back to him. We needed a mediator who could represent us to God and who could represent God to us. 1 Timothy 2 says that there's one mediator or go-between between God and man. It's the man, Christ Jesus. Interestingly enough there, it specifically states Jesus' humanity as well as his deity in that one verse. Number four, Jesus had to be fully man to fulfill God's original purpose for man to rule over creation. Originally, God put mankind on the earth to subdue it and rule over it, 
But mankind did not fulfill that purpose. Instead, mankind fell into sin. That's Genesis chapter 3. Because Jesus was able to obey God, he, was the, he has the right to rule over creation as a man, thus fulfilling God's original purpose in putting man on the earth. Matthew 28 makes it quite clear Jesus has all authority and power that's been given to him by the Father. Number five, Jesus had to be fully man to be our example and pattern in life. Romans 8.29 says that you and I, as, as Christians, we are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The idea is there, you are, if you take a mold, the idea is you are being pressed into a mold. And that mold is Jesus. You're being pressed into it to, to look like him, to think like him, and to talk and act like him. Number six, Jesus had to be fully man to be the pattern for our redeemed bodies. Praise God that uh, the body that you and I have now is not always going to be this way. It's going to be made perfect. In 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about the resurrection of Christ, but in that context there, it talks about Christ being the first fruits, which means that he was not the first. Okay, please understand, he wasn't the first one to, to arise out of the grave. But it means that he's the most important. He's our example there in, in the fact that as Jesus arose, you and I will also arise one day and be made perfect. And number seven, Jesus had to be fully manned to sympathize as high priest. If you read Hebrews 4, again, of course, showing that Jesus is better, he is supreme, he is the best. He's the greatest high priest there ever was and ever will be. He was perfect. But this is a high priest who can also, even though he's perfect, he can also sympathize with you and me. He knows that we are but dust because he is human as well. Well, there's an important question that needs to be asked here. Will Jesus be a man forever? Will Jesus be a man forever? I don't know if you've thought about this, but some theologians state that this, the answer to this question is the greatest miracle that has ever happened and ever will happen. That God is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. The one who, is, who used to be spirit in the beginning became a man and is going to continue to be a man forever. That's an amazing thought. You think about that one too deeply, your, your brain's probably going to catch on fire. But what's the answer? Will Jesus be a man forever? We've already talked a little bit about this, okay? But let me expand a little bit more. Jesus did not give up his human nature after his death and resurrection. He didn't give that up. He still maintained that human nature. He still, he still ate, he still drank, he still slept. And the Bible says he appeared to his disciples as a man even after his resurrection. And in fact, you remember Thomas, Thomas, poor Thomas, he gets a bad rap, doesn't he, sometimes? Uh, we, we love to call him Doubting Thomas, but uh, may I remind you, you'd probably do the same thing he did if you were in his sandals. Don't be too hard on the guy, but you remember he, he's, he's doubting, he's like, I'm not going to believe unless I can stick my fingers in the wounds, you know, those nails that went in his wrist, and 
to see his side and his, his feet. He still had those scars from the nail prints that was in his hands, the Bible says. He was not made perfect. In that sense, he had flesh and bones. He still ate. Later on, we even see him talking to his disciples. As he's, uh, as, as he's talking there with his disciples in Acts chapter 1, he's taken up into heaven. He's still in that resurrected human body. The two angels come. They promised that he would return in the same way that he left. Look at Acts 1, verse 11 here. Here's what the angel said. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Yes, that means he's going to come back to the same place he left, which is Jerusalem. But he's going to come back in the same way he left. He's going to still have that human body. And the Bible indicates that Jesus did not just temporarily become a man for, whatever, 33 years. No, he was still fully God. He was still fully human. And most the conservative theologians, which I agree with, state that fully God and fully man come together to still make one person. You say, you might scratch your head over that one and say, now wait a minute. When you put 100% plus 100%, shouldn't you get 200%? Which is impossible. But the Bible says that fully man plus fully God equals Jesus Christ. One per sorry, one person. Now, you may not understand that, but I hope you believe what the Bible says, because that's what the Bible teaches. Now, why am I bothering to even point this out to you? You say, what is the point? Can you please share the point with me? I really want to know. Well, here's the point. You need to understand the person of Jesus Christ. Some people think Jesus is not God. Okay, There's, there's denominations and religions, even in our own city, that teach that Jesus is not God. I hope you don't believe that. The Bible is quite clear that Jesus is fully divine. Jesus stated that. He believed it. God the Father believed it. The Holy Spirit believes Jesus is God. The disciples believe that Jesus is God, and so should we. But then there are, as we talked about, there were some even in, in the first century who believed that Jesus was not man. They, they, they could not reconcile how God could become man. They had a problem with that. But again, the Bible shows that he is fully man. Jesus, please understand this, is going to remain fully God and fully man, yet one person, and he's always going to be fully man and fully God in that one person. He's always going to be like that. And the Bible even says in Revelation, Jesus will have the scars to remind us of what he has done for us for all eternity. So when you die and you go to heaven, do not forget what Jesus did for you. As we sung about, Jesus was born to die to pay the penalty for your sin. My friend, do you realize that Jesus is the greatest gift that any of you could receive? The greatest gift. He was perfect. He did not have to leave paradise. 
He had the position of power and glory of heaven, but yet he humbled himself, became a man, he dwelt among us, and, and lived the perfect life that you and I should have lived, and died the perfect death that you deserve to die, but you cannot die that, in that way. Because he was without blemish, without spot, he was sinless. You and I, of course, are not sinless. He was the perfect Lamb of God who came and took away the sin of the world. So my friend, love Jesus. Love Jesus for who he is. Okay, you may not fully understand who, who, as Jesus is described in the Bible, but my friend, first of all, you must believe what the Bible says, even if you don't understand it. Okay, there's, there's some things here that may be confusing to you, may be hard to believe. The virgin birth, you know, that could be hard to believe. How, how can God become man? That, that can be hard to believe. Okay, my friend, if you don't believe that the Bible is your only rule for faith and practice, you need to pray for the Holy Spirit to reveal that truth to you. And as we go home today on Christmas Day, don't forget that the reason for the season is Jesus Christ. And the reason that we give gifts is because God the Father gave the greatest of all gifts, who of course is His own Son, Jesus Christ. The greatest gift. Because our greatest problem is sin. Because our greatest problem is sin and we deserve eternal condemnation in the lake of fire, we need God to deal with our sin. Because God does not overlook sin. Praise God. He sent Jesus to deal with that sin. And that's why in 1 John, it says that Jesus is our propitiation. Propitiation means that Jesus is our wrath absorber. He takes care of our guilt and the wrath that God put on His Son, which you and I deserve, by the way, it was on His Son. And so, praise God for mercy and grace. We don't get what we deserve, and we get what we don't deserve. Unmerited favor. So during the season, may I remind you what the reason for the season's all about? Don't forget Jesus. Don't be like King Herod. <laughs> there are King Herods in our world today who hate Jesus Christ. Don't want anything to do with Him, and they'll do everything they can to, they can to, to remove Jesus from their life and this world. Please don't be like King Herod. You're probably not like him, but too many of us are like the people of Jerusalem who were looking for the Messiah to come but missed him. Please don't be like them either. I hope, I hope that you and I would be like the shepherds during this Christmas season. Be like the shepherds. Yes, they were also looking for the King to come, for their Messiah to come, and when the angels told them about Jesus, they rejoiced. And they went to see him, and they worshipped him. Not only that, they told, remember the Bible says, they told others about him as well. May their example be our exhortation. 